0: So hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Socially Sourced Podcast. My name is Leon Andrews, and I'm joined by the wonderful, the magnificent Fabi Wilcox, who is still dancing, to my pleasure, uh, while I record this intro. I can see her on a webcam dancing away. Hey, Fabi, good afternoon. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Mr. Andrews. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm uh, recovering from the weekend still, but all good. Was was it a
0: heavy one or what what, what was going on?
1: (sighs) Yeah, it was me and seven other uh, of my girlfriends in Brighton, sunny Brighton. Uh, So yeah, heavy weekend, lots of drinking, lots of eating, but also lots of, you know, retail therapy as well. Brighton is such a fantastic place, lots of independent shops. It kind of made us all fell you know fall in love with retail again so is uh, topical for today
0: i bet that felt very normal didn't it you know there hasn't been a lot of that over the last 12 months
1: no exactly just felt like oh i remember who i used to be
0: how right. many how many of you got arrested
1: um uh that's something for after the podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the idea of you turning up to any city in the country with seven girlfriends for a drinking and retail therapy weekend is something you should probably notify the local authority about I think that would be important and I'm glad that you're out of jail now if you did uh if you did end up getting dragged in, kicking into screaming and um, we've got the wonderful uh Richard Hammond joining us today haven't we
1: yeah, Richard is such a, a you know amazing storyteller, fantastic figure. We can just hear him talk all day. He's has uh, you know we've got amazing futuristic ideas of how you know the consumer relationship will exist in the next few years. So really looking forward to us uh, have a little bit of an unpack with Richard.
0: Yeah, he's a smart cookie, so looking forward to getting stuck into that. As ever, we will have um, a section all around some of the latest news and what's going on in the world uh, around, you know, sustainability, tech, diversity, What what's going on in that sector. And then we'll finish up with uh, a couple of resource recommendations as ever. So we better shut up and get on with it, Fabi, right?
1: Let's do it, buddy.
0: Awesome. So as mentioned, we have the pleasure today of having uh, Richard Hammond with
2: us on the show. Afternoon, Richard. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Leon. Hi, Fabiola. Hello. Hello.
0: A pleasure to have you here, uh, Richard. Now, um, I know you're incredibly modest, so I'm going to handle your intro for you. Um, Author, retail futurist, keynote speaker. Anything else you want to tag on to the end of that, Richard?
2: I suppose I've got to do keen cyclist, haven't I?
0: Yeah, have actually got a bike behind you in the background does it ever go off there every time i speak to you the bike is behind you i'm not sure if it ever leaves
2: <laughs> i'm not doing calls on my bike leon <laughs>
0: that's a good point point. and of course i've missed out your uh most important uh achievement richard which is uh ceo and founder of oncrowd
2: yeah yeah thanks that's your current passion isn't it it's it's my all-consuming passion from now until the end, I would suggest.
0: <laughs> this is your final chapter that you're final writing goes. this week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. final go. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Uncrowd and, and why it's pretty cool later, but you're here to talk to us today a little bit about um, the topic we've picked for this week, which is the, the kind of future of retail, I suppose, and how your view of that world is zero waste, zero friction, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Sami, I just to kind of kick off and and illustrate what I'm, what I'm thinking. There's a, a thought exercise that that is well worth anyone doing in any industry. Actually, this I'm a retailer, so that's that's where I'm coming from. But the thought exercise is try and imagine how your industry ends. Try and see if you can find a view of what happens when it stops and why that's precipitated, because. Essentially, what you are able to do if you if you if you go through this exercise is you can say, okay, here's a here's a position of total change. What thing will have had to have happened immediately before that position of total change for it to happen? Mm. What thing will have had to have happened immediately before? And so on. And you can step it back, sometimes decades, sometimes longer, and find yourself back at today. And you have a little bit of a hint as to what you might want to be doing tomorrow and the day after to either avoid this outcome or to reach this outcome if it's an outcome that, that you personally believe is a positive one. So that's the exercise. And the, the conclusion that, that I've drawn over many years, actually, of doing this for retail is that retailing will end at a point where we are, as individual customers, able to license anything we want mm. and for that product to be assembled for us in our home from raw materials that are stored underneath the street, that are, on the one hand, our human waste products, uh, waste food, uh, bodily waste as fuels and energies and fibers. And all those products we've owned before are disassembled and reassembled from that base source. So instead of having sewers, we'll have under our streets repositories of raw material. And then let's say, let's say I'm trying to choose a now, this is a hard one because I'm going to say a car for the mm. weekend, but maybe this future is so far away that cars just aren't the method of travel anymore. But that's <laughs> if we're going to go layer on layer, It's it's too hard to understand. Um, but let's say I want to choose a car for the weekend, and I want to take the kids to the seaside. So I want a people carrier. Mm. Um, I don't want that parked outside my house for the other days of the year when I don't need it. I don't want to tie up those resources, but I'll find some method – of identifying the license for the SUV I want for that weekend and then I'll order it and while I'm getting the kids together and getting their bloody shoes on and things in the hallway and all those things we as parents know, you know, there's no just leaving the house with small kids. It is is an action itself. But while you're going through that, nanobots are building that car for you outside the house and as soon as it's finished and the bots have run their safety checks on it, click, the timer's going and I'll hand that back in Sunday night, and it'll be disassembled, stored back under the street, and somebody else, it might be their next bathroom suite, or part (laughs) of it might be, you know, their garden furniture, or whatever it might end up as being. Now, you you kind of get to a situation like that, and there's two sets of implications. The first is the implications that describe the possibility of it happening, uh, the facilitating circumstances, but the other part of it, is very much understanding what the implications are on your industry. So if this really goes this way, if this really happens, well, retail kind of ceases to exist because there's no middleman anymore. But then you ask yourself interesting questions, don't you? You say, well, is that true? Actually, will somebody be required to help curate those options for me? How will I find the license I want? How will I even understand what license I should be looking for? Is somebody going to, to to prompt a desire and a demand in me for for something? Is somebody going to help me choose from alternatives? And you almost get this the sense that if this happened, not long after it, and we can see this in in something like uh, ebooks, for example, we have a huge spike of usership, and then you have a a, a dramatic tailing off once mm. people get back to kind of working out. Well, do you know what? In specific circumstances, an e-book is it's great for holidays, it's great for commuting. But if I'm at home reading on the on the sofa, I want a book, I want a physical book, I want to go in a bookshop and Barnes and Noble resurging in the US, mm-hmm. independent bookshops opening all over the place in Europe. You know, these these curves are, are really interesting to follow. So you have the, the the impact on retail, and you might say, Do you know what? After that happens, we might get two or three years of, of, of complete utility and com- complete kind of zero friction, zero waste experience. But then you'll get a group of kids who will say, do you know what? We, we run this cafe because tribal things like cafes will have always exist. They won't go ever. Mm. Um, we run this cafe. How about we pre-print some licenses and some designs, maybe some dresses Maybe some clothes, maybe some whatever. Maybe we add cycling kit because you mentioned the bike. Maybe we pre-print a few frames and have them in the cafe. And you know what? Boom, stores become real again. But they become real from not a logistical need uh, need point. They become real because people have decided they want to put cool stuff in front of somebody else. And it's that act, that that impetus that becomes special. Um but before kind of we move to the to the next point i should probably give some of the supporting evidence to the futuristic the futurist position so all of the things that i've just described uh, assembling from waste products nanobot construction constructing to license 3d printing of textiles and machinery is all possible right now So at the moment, the state of nanobot construction technology is nanobots can essentially do two things. They can fold a cube from a pre-printed piece of material, so they can fold a cube on their own. And it's not like traditional code where they're told a list of instructions. It's where the nanobots are told what a cube is and what the raw materials are. And then they, through their relationships with each other, are able to work out what that should end up as. Uh, Nanjing University of 3D-printed full-size vehicles, that's happened. Uh, we have some 3D printing of the food. It's pretty rotten at the minute, but it's, it's happening. And lab-grown food <laughs> is, is actually getting pretty good. And, and, you know, the the necessity of storage of raw materials, we won't have much choice around that. We're not sticking this stuff in landfill and, Mm. you know, disgustingly in in sending things to Thailand and Turkey anymore. That's not happening. So we've got no choice on those things. We have to find a solution to those things. And then you kind of, you think about pace of change. You say, well, is this a thousand years away? Is this a hundred years away? Is it 10 years away? Look at cars. I started giving this vision of the future three, three years ago when my youngest son was two. And I used to put a picture of Ezra up on the screen. And I'd put this picture up and say, this is my two-year-old son, Ezra. He will never drive a car in his lifetime. And of course, two, three years ago, people would say, well, that's just ridiculous. He's 17 in, what, 15 years' time. So in the UK, 15 years' time, there'll be a beaten-up Volvo that you'll give him, and that'll be his first car. <laughs> three years later, it's not looking like a stretch anymore. Mm. For a start, he definitely legally he won't be able to buy a new petrol driven car so he won't drive a car like the three of us have driven a car it'll be an electric vehicle there's, there's you know the ban is already at night at 2030 in the uk for sale 9 years away just at the beginning of last year it was 2045 they've dropped that that threshold three times in the last 12 months uh, the car he drives he won't be able to dictate the speed of the car the street will tell him the maximum speed that he's allowed to drive on it. Not fantasy, already being trialled in the UK. Transponder equipment that communicates with the car and tells the car what the maximum speed is and prevents it speeding. He won't be able to ostensibly pilot the thing. The car will be stacked on the motorway and will get itself to its destination. Ezra might be allowed to do corners.
0: If he's That's very the, lucky.
2: If yeah, he's very if he's lucky. Very lucky. And and that's that's extraordinary, isn't it? In three years' time, something that was that looked extreme and ridiculous is already not just uh, believable; it's probable. That's the world we live in.
0: I think it's 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 a really interesting analogy that you cite, Richard. And um, you know, this text on the roads already. I think you know, for me, the self-driving point, which is I know isn't the main point of your argument. I think we'll be semi autonomous for a really long time, but you're right. Driving is, as we know it, is not going to be Ezra's, uh, Ezra's pastime. It does make me think, though, God, driving will be really boring. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll be yeah. doing something else, I would assume, right? If I'm only allowed to do corners, well, they're almost the worst part. So you, uh, I'm,
2: I'm from the generation of the the Ford XRs. So, uh, yeah, driving down country lanes like an 18 year old idiot in a Fiesta XR2i is. Uh, <laughs> I miss it enormously.
0: <laughs> well, you're in London, Fabi. You're not allowed cars.
1: No, we're not allowed uh. cars. Not now, not ever. But uh, I find it really fascinating, Richard, uh, the conversation, because 3D printing is something that has been around for you know a long time, but it just feels like I'm not sure if everyone's realised the potential I mean, we're talking here about 3D printing actually ending, you know, supply chain for retail, right? Retailers will be able to purchase raw material and print inventory themselves, or even better, we will be doing the printing at home ourselves. So it's a major change. And I think... The other thing that is interesting is that you will possibly uh, create a lot more longevity for products because, you know, when something breaks, you just print a spare part and there you go, you've got, mm. got a on product. So it, it, yeah. it, it's a great way for us to look at how we can make uh, obviously the retail sector a lot more uh, sustainable for sure.
0: It's a great point, just to jump in there, Fabi, that you make about that that kind of repair piece. I mean, I'm sure Richard, as a sort of retail fanatic, will know, you know, the new legislation around right to repair f- for products yeah. is absolutely huge. You know, Apple and a number of other suppliers have been making stuff that's welded onto circuit boards. You can't open it without splintering it into a million pieces. Yeah. And, and actually, I think that that kind of right to repair is, is a fabulous Um, challenge to engineers and and, and, and OEMs and and suppliers to say actually do you know what a consumer has a right actually to extend that useful life just Mm. because a small component's gone you know um, a stick of RAM in a new MacBook would almost be a complete new new device well that's crazy it's actually poor engineering or by design I'll I'll let you cynics work that one out that, that they want you to replace an entire MacBook because one component's failed so I think you know that combination of technologies that you just talked about, Fabi, plus that legislative change, It's going to be great for consumers and sustainability.
2: Yeah, I mean, it gets really interesting, doesn't it? My my ten year old, he uses a, I think it's a second or first generation silver MacBook Air mm. that we passed on to him. That I can't see any sign of that being um, not being enough for him for the next couple of years till he's twelve, mm. you know, or maybe even beyond that. That that was unthinkable. Fifteen years ago, ten years ago, you know, I, I'm a bit of a nostalgia freak. I've got all my all the mobile phones I've ever owned are in a drawer behind <laughs> me. I've got most of my laptops since the first time I bought one um, myself, and they're they're ridiculous to look at after four or five years. Yeah, that MacBook Air, it looks like it's a brand new, fresh product. Runs like a dream. Um, you know, I've since moved on back to PCs. I should say, incidentally, it was a it was a passing fad.
0: We're not the BBC, we don't have to, you know, we can show as much favouritism or bias as we want on the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Mac fanboy.
2: <laughs> if we're going to ignite debates, that's always the one to ignite. <laughs> uh,
1: I would love to get into that draw, Richard, by the way. We need to do a little a little picture of it and put in our socials afterwards. <laughs> uh, there'll be some gems there for sure. Well, well if you
0: want to... Is- if- If you want a real throwback, Fabi worked for BlackBerry for ages, so you know she's probably got a couple of classics in the drawer herself. I sure do.
2: That that drawer includes a little, um, the small Nokia. I can't remember what the model number was, but they were they got really popular for a while. They were small like that, and I used to carry it when I lived in Croydon as my decoy phone, so that if if and when I got (laughs) mugged, I could hand over a device and still have my proper phone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I feel so lucky
0: to have never lived anywhere where I had to carry a decoy phone. But, you know, maybe again... that's uh, that's that's another world. Uh, I have got a million uh, questions for your for your vision uh, Richard. I can see you're itching to get in Fabby. You, you want to throw something at Richard first before I it? Yeah, sure.
1: I mean, one thing that I think it's quite interesting Richard is how, you know, the world is going online uh and, and uh, the biggest retailer in the world, the one that prides itself for, you know, being uh, customer hero of all heroes amazon it's actually making a run for retail spaces in the uk i mean do they yeah. know something that we don't what's the story there
2: yeah so there's a kind of a, a position that i need to declare on that really is that i remain uh convinced that physical stores will be the predominant form of the the art for the next 20 years at least and there's a lot of evidence for that um the first i mean the greatest bit of evidence is the experiment we've just been living through um the pandemic at no point during the first 3 months of the pandemic last year did the total volume of retail sales online exceed 50% in either the UK Germany France or the US let that sink in for a moment most stores were physically closed mm. And yet online still couldn't get beyond 50. Not my numbers. Amazon did a paper with Global Data, um, fabulous research business. Global Data and Amazon put out their paper halfway through last year that showed this extraordinary number that although there were spikes within it taken collectively across the three months, never got over 50%.
0: Not not your data, Richard, but does that include grocery? Is that the big driver there? Absolutely. Is that involves grocery. Good? Yeah.
2: Yeah. grocery will always be a, a huge part of that. But it's amazing where other marketplaces like fashion, like home improvement, mm. big, big spikes. But as soon as those stores opened again, the return to those stores has been dramatic. In the US, the total movement between online and offline now, now that the US has been effectively reopened for, what, seven months is percentage points. It's not chunks. It's not it's not double figures. It's I can't remember what the last set of figures were. It was something like uh, 2.6% overall or 1.6%. What we've actually seen is this. There's a trend line that's going like that, and in lots of things. Uh, flexible working, for example, always a trend. It was a trend long before pandemic. But you get this this line working like this, boom, there's a sudden kind of you know, chunk. Uh, increase in it for
0: the benefits of those who are listening to remember. us. Richard's drawing a beautiful uh, graph uh, on the on the <laughs> video chat that we've got over <laughs> here. He's, he's uh, it's great for radio, Richard. But yeah,
2: I, I'm, I'm so used to doing
0: uh, podcasts with visuals. We've got t- um, we've got teams uh, addictions, all of us, haven't we? And, and Zoom addictions, yeah, yeah.
1: So, Richard, do you think that the retail industry sector will need to almost reform? As an experience sector, in order to attract those customers, so you know there needs to be something in the retail spaces that I can't get online, in order for me to to be worthy of my time being there. What's your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question because just as I, I've got a view of the new normal being being a mirage. The, the idea for me that 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 retail stores will just be about experience is as equally as uh, uh, is, is, is as an equal false narrative as that one feels and and I, and I know that can be controversial because it's it it makes sense there's a there's a um there's a compelling picture that it paints of retail stores being part of entertainment and hospitality and mm. that kind of idea but actually the truth is that it's all about understanding what is the gain from visiting a physical store or or visiting an online store versus the effort? So, I mean, we formed an idea around this uh, some years ago that we call friction versus reward, which is the idea that if you can understand the amount of effort a customer has to go through to shop in a particular way, and you can understand the gain they get back from having done so, the reward, then essentially you've got a customer input and a customer output that tells you something about the likely uh, relative attractiveness of different experiences and sometimes that relative attractiveness for a physical store is not that it's going to entertain me or that it's going to leave me feeling like I've had an experience it's that I can try on three different pairs of jeans in a physical space in the privacy of a cubicle find the one I like walk out with it and enjoy it today versus I'm going to get five pairs of jeans delivered to home. None of them are going to fit. I'm going to send them all back. I'm going to feel real depressed about myself. And I'm going to know they go to landfill or, you know, that, that backwards and forwards, the fuel that's been expended on putting that on my doorstep, the waiting for the part, all those things. It's about understanding that relative uh, effort and gain, that friction and reward between those two things, of which experiential is, is a part. You know, something like Selfridges is very much an experiential retail business. That that's a department store that works because it makes you feel good about the you know the the, the process and the experience for five or ten minutes. And you go to Selfridges and watch who's in there. It's not lots of celebs and rich tourists. Well, there's no tourists at the moment, obviously, but um, it's not that kind of uh, that stereotypical view of who's in a department store. It's the kids that work in the offices that live near it that are part of that that community who know they can buy everything in that store for less money and easier elsewhere. You know, there's not a thing in Selfridges. You can't, well, there's a couple of things, but there's very little in those stores. You can't get cheaper and easier elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But you buy them in Selfridges because it feels good, because you have inspiration. You can you can see one thing against another. You can walk out with all the things you wanted to achieve. You can pick something up and try it. There's no replacement for that right now.
0: Hmm. That's a really interesting take on it. And Selfridges is a great example, actually. I can't think of many other environments, actually, that, that kind of have that impact on the consumer that that kind of retail has. You know, the Harrods of this world, the Selfridges of this world. It's quite a rare bird, that, isn't it?
2: Well, there's a, there's a great example that, that I'm going to give you. There's In fact, there's two that are worth looking at. Um, Williams-Sonoma is the perfect example of how this market, marketplace works now. So Williams and Sonoma, housewares in the US, yep. a real pioneer of online, as well as having a very long history of physical offline stores. And they are now 50-50, or at least they were the last time I saw figures for them, which to be fair were uh, uh, late 19 1919? Uh, 2019, I'm not that old. Um <laughs> And they're 50-50 because what they've done is that location agnosticism I talked about. They've said that we we exist as something that's delightful and sensory and immediate in a physical form. And actually, if somebody now just wants to buy the third pan of the set, we've got a great uh, website, a great transactional business that will sell them that. If they know exactly what they want, we're still their trusted source. And what they've recognized too is that part of that trust in their web business Comes from the trust in William Sonoma as a thing, as a presence, mm. and that's 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 it's really easy to underestimate the the value of of that. That what you build in reality is reflected in what you've built virtually. Those two things really go together in an extraordinary way.
0: Mm. No, I think it's a great point, and and the William Sonoma example is probably one of the guys that got it right very early in, in getting yeah. that blend they saw it coming rather than be a bit of a denier of uh, people will still want to come around here they sort of said actually we need to embrace both both parts of this puzzle um, yeah. really really effectively one of the few examples I think actually a lot of people kind of t- especially American big big retailers turtled up and hoped that it'd all go away actually yeah. uh but malls over there really struggled for yeah. a very long period of time didn't well, they?
2: I, and they didn't I mean you look at Walmart that's a really good 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 experience where Walmart started out exactly like that, putting the yeah. head in the sand and saying, you know, we are the biggest, we're one of the, at one point they were the biggest company on the planet. Um, they accounted for 10% of America's entire import volume from China. You know, this is behemoth. And it started hurting them. It really started damaging them. And then finally, you got a couple of really inspirational people who took over that business who said, do you know what? Um, a, that was wrong. And B... We're probably not the people to work out how to to exploit these digital channels. So what we're going to do is we're going to buy a, a bunch of really interesting um, digital players and let them tell us what to do. We're not going to buy them to ruin them. We're going to buy them to learn and we're going to be open. That's the real, you know, a, a fabulous lesson in retail in any transformation is to say if there's other people solving this when we're not, get them in and encourage them to get on with doing that but for us. And that was fabulously successful. And it's meant that Walmart is now back in its preeminent position. And they, they talk about two things, actually. And it, it goes right to, Fabiola, your point. They talk about having um, understood how to take friction out of the business, how to become easier to shop, and how to make it re- more rewarding to shop at Walmart, more interesting, more direct, more involving, more emotional and and that's a perfect example of combining those those two things and you're absolutely right the 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 um the instinct to just ignore it and hope it all goes away i mean let's look at an example in the uk let's look at kingfisher B&Q was on its uppers yep. by the end of 2019 if it wasn't for a pandemic forcing hmm. the business to listen to the digital pioneers within it and that's the interesting thing is Kingfisher and b was full of digital pioneers who weren't being heard, who weren't being listened to. And now finally those folks have been able to rise to the surface and have been proven to be entirely correct in their uh, uh, desire to modernize that business. And fingers crossed, because Kingfisher is vital to, to European retail, fingers crossed Kingfisher are now in rude health again.
0: Good. No, yeah, I'm with you. And as a digital evangelist, it's great to hear those voices start to get a platform. So yeah, here, here, long may it continue. A big burning one for me, uh, Richard, to to pick your brain on while you're here, and we've got you. I know your time's tight, but you know, sustainability is big and important to us on the show. We look at it from lots of different angles. You know, we're not we're not just a green podcast. We're we're sort of yeah. all things. But um, I think it's impossible to get away from the fact that a huge element of us becoming more sustainable as a society is about helping consumers make informed choice. And yeah. um, it's very hard to get away from the fact that retailers have a huge responsibility in helping consumers make yeah. those informed choices ultimately. Um, having just worked very closely with all the new energy label legislation rollout stuff in the, across the UK. Um, yeah. That, that's okay. It's pretty good. It's nice to have some labels that mean something again, rather than quadruple A and all this nonsense that doesn't actually mean anything to a consumer. But it was quite interesting to see everything go from a triple A to a D overnight, you know, right. and actually yeah. your eyes are opened from an energy use perspective when it comes yeah. to effective labeling. What do you think the role of, uh, of retailers is uh, first and foremost? And I guess just following on from that, if I can be really greedy and ask two questions in one, you know, Actually, is there is there a big prize at stake here? Do customers really care? Is there is there is there an opportunity here for a, for a great retailer to really grab the ball by the horns at scale and do it right? It
2: gets really interesting this question because the data says the data says the answer to the second question is no.
0: I've read the is same that, data. Yeah.
2: yeah, is that customers are customers will tell you that sustainability is one of their very top issues and incredibly important to them. And they'll buy a five pound t-shirt from Primark and stick it in the bin before they've even got home that night. Mm. And, and, and do it knowingly as well. There's a, a fabulous um, body of evidence that talks about talking to those customers and customers almost, almost reacting with horror at their own behavior, you know, and, and kind of not even being able to justify it, post-rationalize it. Mm. And that's, that's, that's a truth of, we all want to be good people. Nobody says I want to walk out the front door and, and, and be a be a dick. Nobody says that, but unfortunately, some of us then behave in ways that, that do that. We jump into a big, um, you know, polluting vehicle, uh, or we, you know do so instead of walking somewhere we, we we get in the car instead of um buying the low packaging option we go yeah but i don't want it to leak in my bag so i'm going to get this one that's in 15 layers of solid steel because then i don't get strawberry juice <laughs> in the bottom <laughs> of me you know, we, we, we do all that but this is where retail this is where i'm proud of retail is that a lot of retail businesses have said Okay, it's in some have said, look, legislation will force us in this direction, so we've got to be ahead of the curve. Yeah, but many retail leaders, it turns out, are decent human beings, and have actually decided that we have an opportunity to have a big impact on sustainability. We have an opportunity to make a genuine difference at scale. Um, we work a lot with with JD Sports, for example, who, you know, very much a a brand that's orientated on selling you um 16 pairs of sneakers in a year yeah. when you know you could probably get away with one but we'd like you to buy quite a lot of them because they're lovely they make you feel good um they're part of expressing who you are and all that, that kind of stuff. JD Sports have made a number of investments in sustainability without having to. Hmm. They don't need to do it. They, they, there's no there's no big advantage from doing it. But they've done it because they're led by decent people who just Want to make a difference, and you see that everywhere. I mean, on the same in the same area, you see Nike leverage it really well, and actually Adidas as well. To be fair, to leverage those those sustainability credentials into part of the brand, but there are just as many retail businesses that are just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And actually, you know, I've I perhaps said a negative couple of things about Kingfisher there. Kingfisher had a sustainability director, or sorry, a, a C suite level director of sustainability on the board. Seven years ago,
0: and that would have been very, very early in that in the ESG field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: crazy early. And and, and they started to do something. That person was was given a real chance to change the business and did. Mm. And his, his it's a he, but their successors are doing the same thing, improving the way that uh, you know product is sold, logistics, storage, wastage, uh, solvents, all of those things they can do something about. And I'm not even sure the customers noticed. Uh, that at uh, at, at B and Q. In fact, I'm pretty sure they haven't. Um, and I
0: suppose that's a, that's an interesting part of it. There's two there's two parts to this puzzle, uh, Richard. From what you're saying, there is what do organisations need to do to make their operations as lean and as green and as sustainable as possible, right? And that's stripping waste out of supply chains. You know, it has a bottom line impact for them ultimately as well. So let's not let's not kid ourselves. It's a hundred percent benevolent activity. There's this if you do it right, there's some really good wins there for your bottom line yeah. as well. Um, and and then there's investing in things like less plastic in packaging. I think probably most of us will have bought food now from the supermarkets that has a big logo on it saying 30% less plastic on your cheese. Yeah. And It's like, oh, good. Well, okay. right. I feel quite good about eating this cheese. Brilliant. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, I, I, the point that I think I'm coming to in my mind is I wonder if retailers ultimately if so much of our waste and so much of the the sort of challenges and pressure we put on the environment is driven by consumption, human consumption, well, that consumption comes from purchases right we buy the things that we consume ultimately so at that point of sale you know uh, do retailers and fabi i know you've got some strong opinions on this as well you know do retailers ultimately have a responsibility more than showing an energy label to help people make informed choices don't force everybody to buy a really expensive green product that's not right either but about informing and educating and is there a win there i think you know the data says probably there isn't a win, Richard, you know, in terms of customers tell you when they're asked to survey in public, oh, I really care about sustainability, but then they go and make <laughs> unsustainable choices. But is it about a lack of education is kind of my, my, my point, I think.
2: I don't think, it, uh, so, so I was going to say, it's, it's not about a lack of education at all. It's definitely not because that group that talk about sustainability most vocally are also the fast fashion consumption group. But then equally, they're the group that are, part, that, that are responsible for the rise in hire of clothing, of you know, the resale market, mm. of longer tail for things. There is one massive prize, though, and, and that's one that is worth considering, is retail is as much a war for, for, for internal talent as it is a war for customers. And internal talent won't come and join you if you're a uh, smoke-bellowing uh, behemoth of waste. They'll go and work for your for your competitor who at least gives a shit, and they'll mm. be behind that. And that's 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 a really important thing to bear in mind.
1: I think the problem there is in, you know we can resume it by there is a quote by Ogilvy, the father of advertising, who says that uh, people don't say what they think, they don't do what they say, and they don't think what they feel, which creates a bit of a problem there, Richard, isn't it? But it's that's <laughs> what we're talking about, isn't it? You can't really trust yeah. what comes out of people's mouth.
2: Yeah, and it's 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 a beautiful way of expressing that, and he's absolutely right, and I mean, he's right instinctively, but the psychology of why that's the case is really interesting. There's there's two big problems. The, the first problem is that when you're asked, when you're standing in front of a customer, whether that's through a tool like you know, I don't know Medallia, Qualtrics, SurveyMonkey, whatever it is, or a focus group, what you're essentially doing is saying to one of us ordinary people, please post-rationalize the complicated set of behavioral uh, and motivational um, economics and psychology that created you or or led you to do that particularly complicated, extraordinary thing in that store, in that moment. And we are also asking them to do that, to recall that in a new context that's different from the context in which it happened. (laughs) And weirdly, it turns out that's really, really hard to do accurately, (laughs) or it's really, really hard to do in any way, shape or form that resembles the truth. But the worst thing is that our brains are built to find order in chaos. It's the same thing that means that you you see Michael Jackson's face in a burnt piece of toast. Our brain says, rearrange those bits of burnt carbon into something familiar. We do that when we're asked a question about why we chose to do something, what we think about um, this store, or what we feel about this issue, or how we respond, or the last time it... What we do is we we then say, I've been asked a question, I need to recreate a compelling solution to that question. I need to make order out of the chaos of that process. So what we do is we lie. We don't know we're doing it. It's it's all subconscious. But we we make up a complete lie. And the challenge there is that any set of feedback, uh, um, surveying analysis of your customers is full of two things. It's full of some people who are actually accurately describing why they did something or how they feel about something. There are those people in there, but it's equally full of a group of people who are accidentally entirely making it up. And the problem with that data set is you have both of those things in there and you can't tell which is which. So the entire data set is junk. You cannot make strategic choices on that.
0: Well, look, Richard, Fabi, I'm going to have to interject here because we could we could be here for two hours. Um, I have learned so much um, there. Richard, thank you so much for being so generous with your time.
2: Yeah. Thanks very much. And, and thank you for letting me <laughs> let me talk so much, but hopefully it was, was useful.
0: We've gone through everything. Anthropology, 3d printing, electric autonomous vehicles. we covered a lot of ground there. That was, that was, that was good stuff. That's was right on my street. Uh, Richard, uh, just for people listening, where can they find you? Uh, you know, where can they get hold of more of your thoughts on this sort of stuff?
2: LinkedIn is the, the best possible source because you can interact a little bit there. And I try to post quite a lot of this material, um, as it, as it kind of occurs. Um, the business that I run, uncrowd.uk. Um, although I think our website is more confusing than it is revealing, but then it's an interesting subject. Uh but come and talk to me anywhere there.
0: Yeah, definitely worth uh, worth a follow on on LinkedIn. It's uh, probably one of my most commented on posters, Richard. Um so yeah, definitely check him out there. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time.
2: Great stuff. Thanks everybody. Speak soon
1: right thank you so much richard we are going to take a couple of seconds and we're going to be back with the new section of the show we're going to hear from our sponsors now today's episode is brought to you by rocket spark creating a beautiful site is fast and easy with the rocket spark website builder and with their world-class customer support there's always someone on hand to help you make every website a success story Start a free trial today at Rocketspark.com. So let's get on with the new section of the show then. So starting with a piece from The Guardian on how domestic tourism has helped to increase footfall here in the UK in August. We know that, you know, a lot of people have been doing staycations, they were really popular this summer. Um, can we call it Summerlean? I'm not sure. Uh, mm, and that not perhaps sure. that has been the reason why, um, you know, so many Brits holidaying in the UK have been uh, pottering around the shops, let's say, because when the weather outside is as rubbish as it has been, there is really not much else to do apart from shopping. So apparently the number of consumers visiting bricks and mortar shopping outlets rose by a quarter in August, which is great news for retailers, particularly as Normally, what happens in warmer months is usually there is a decrease in footfall, which then goes up again on winter months. Now, when we talk about this increase in footfall today um, because of these domestic tourists, we need to really put that into context and the context is a very long decline. Uh, which retail has been experienced. We talked about that with Richard Mm. earlier. Even before the pandemic, you know, UK high streets um, were having a really tough time. Uh, Throughout 2019, for example, the retail footfall dropped on a monthly basis in comparison to 2018. And sadly, uh, there were more Mm. shops closing than opening in Great Britain in 2019. So it, I know you kind of in the other side of the 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 spectrum there, and you kind of hate shopping or don't like shopping I don't like the word hate a little but bit obviously for me I'm a big fan of shopping so any small news is a big piece of news for me where do you sit on that
0: Yeah I, I think I think rubbish, rubbish retail experiences, like like all rubbish experiences for consumers, you know, uh, there's a bit of Darwinism about it. Right. Um, great, great experiences will will survive and the rubbish ones will, will go by the wayside. And I think that there are certain there are certain shopping activities that I'm never going back to um I am not going back to giving up two hours or three hours of my weekend to pack screaming children into a car and go round the supermarket ever again. I'm not doing it. It's um, it, a we long made the shopping switch. trip, buddy. Where are you getting <laughs> Well, you know, by the time you've got ready for a trip out, that's 20 minutes. You've 15 minutes to the shop. Well, there's 35, 40 minutes to actually get there. A couple of hours round. You know, it easily turns into that amount of time. You know, a morning has disappeared, hasn't it? Of, of what is very yeah. precious time. You're right. um, so. So I'm not going back to, to those kind of experiences. We made the switch to uh, you know, online shopping with with our supermarkets um, uh, over the pandemic. And actually, it takes 15 minutes on a Sunday. We order 80% of the same stuff every week, maybe 90% of the same stuff every week. And 10%, we, we kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and and actually somebody drops it off for us at half six on a monday after work it's fantastic so i'm not going um back to to to, to those days i think you know that the shopping you described, fabian i know the kind of retail you're a big fan of is this kind of you know experiential boutique retail which i think is is akin to a bit of a leisure sort of uh, hobby or pastime isn't it rather than rather than shopping maybe as i perceive it in my sort of luddite way um uh, it's not it's not something i've ever done a lot of i like going into a nice retail experience i mean the often cited apple is probably one that you'd call out it's just it's not really like shopping is it it's kind of browsing it's curation it's 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 getting the ability to touch and feel and and get hands-on with product um and and i think there's value in having specialists help you achieve that sort of curation um in, in in retail you know like a brilliant fashion retailer that might have knowledge of certain fabrics or certain styles that you can go and talk to about what will work for you and your skin tone or your needs for a particular season it's not for me but I can see the appeal for uh, for people who are really fashion conscious definitely in the same way that I value that with technology decisions perhaps and it's the reason that I think retailers like Richer Sounds, for example, will always have a great business because they're absolute experts in what they do and people value their opinion. They want to go in and have those conversations. Um, And they don't need like 50,000 square feet in a town center to do that. They can do that in a pretty compact, small, sort of meaningful way. So I think some retail experiences here to stay. Great that those guys are are doing well. Um, I'm not going back to Tesco. I'm not going back, Fabi. You can't make me.
1: No, I won't won't make you. But I did say to you the reason why I haven't uh, taken on to online shopping for groceries is because I don't think um, I've ever received a kind of well-picked you know vegetables and fruit so I'm really picky about my fruit and veg and I want to make I think sure the phrase I'm you used actually was it.
0: nobody can pick fruit and veg like me which was quite well, quite a bold statement actually yeah
1: that is quite a bold statement but I would say not consistently that's uh you know you you might it's kind of hit and miss I mean there was a there was a piece in the news the other day about Waitrose being at the bottom of the pack they did this research with all the different retailers from online shopping around how fresh their fresh produce was mm. and surprisingly waitrose was at the very bottom of the list which i'm sure they're kicking themselves I... about it
0: I would have totally had you pegged as like uh, an Abel and Cole kind of gal or, you know, something really upmarket, really stylish, really on, on trend, you know, that I haven't heard of probably yet. You know, I probably don't even know the brand that you're using for your, you know, ultra fresh, ultra sustainable produce.
1: Yeah, I, I I would like to say that that is the case, Liam, but unfortunately not. What I would like to start doing is just growing my own, um, or some at least, mm. of my own fruit and veg, but I haven't got the space for it just yet. I'll talk to Mr. Wilcox and see if we can make that happen
0: you you should talk to mr wilcox and uh build yourself a lovely window box or something you don't need much grow a carrot um and and try and get a uh, flavor for it. i think you're a bit late in the season now to start in september or whatever exactly. yeah maybe maybe one for next year to to aspire yeah. to it's twenty twenty two. is it that's, that's 2022's objective now i i just coming back to the to to the news point Fabric, i think um I, I think it's great that this sort of staycation driving footfall into town centers they were struggling as you said before the pandemic anyway uh these big retailers have been kind of pulling out of town and city centers everywhere i think the city centers do okay you know london's always going to be fine you know it's it's going to be fine because you've got international tourism national tourism it's fine yeah. but but you know most of the most of the country doesn't live in these kind of two three four major urban city centers that are just bulletproof you know the center mm-hmm. of manchester is going to be great the center of birmingham is going to be great the center of is going to be great it's actually the towns um uh, like like close to where i live you know 70 80 90 thousand people there there's dozens hundreds of those kind of environments that actually that's where the pain is felt i think from a lot of these kind of big retailers like the debenhams of this world that have these huge footprints just vanishing overnight mm-hmm. nobody's coming in to fill that space
1: and nobody will unfortunately that's how things have changed
0: yeah we're gonna to need to see real real change i think in in in, in how we carve up this very valuable space in town and city centres to make it work again. Um, We we need change there, definitely. But I'm glad that there's been this bounce because nobody wants to see people going out of business, right?
1: Exactly.
0: So sorry to take things down um, a little bit more of a somber route, uh, Fabi, but I wanted to just call out the um, the, the tragedy we've seen uh, this week over in over in New York and on the east coast of the United States um, with um, the Storm Ida uh, just wreaking havoc. Really, um, uh, over there, it's another example of some of the very extreme weather uh, that we're seeing. Um, as a result of climate change um, it's plain to see. I think, you know, Joe Biden's called that out in his address to the, to the nation over the weekend um, and, and said, you know, explicitly, we got to We got to fix this. We can't look the other way anymore. We've got to take this on. I think there was a bit of a dig. um, You mentioned off air at Donald Trump in that address, because he really did look the other way and ignored it for four years. um, And, and that will have huge implications for, you know, the welfare of the world, ultimately that, that they made that decision. But, um, just such a tragedy um, and, and another example of how our infrastructure just was never designed and engineered to withstand the battering it's going to get as as this weather and this climate uh, that we have across the globe gets gets more extreme, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's not just in New York, isn't it? And that's the scary thing. Mm. It's getting really, really close to home. Um, We, this summer in London, we had, you know, various tube stations that had to close because of flooding. I think it was Holborn, Liverpool Street and uh, Wottomstow at the end of the Victorian line was particularly affected. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's unthinkable. Can you just imagine being trapped inside, um, you know, for everyone who takes public transport? I mean, we we all do on a regular basis. That is really scary. I remember in China as well earlier last month, I think it was something very Mm -hmm. similar. So those things that used to be very sporadic started to happen really, really frequently now. So I don't think it's something that we we can, obviously we can no longer ignore. And as you said, our thoughts are really with the the, the guys in the U S and it's, Mm. it, it requires a lot of effort and a lot of collaboration across the globe to be able to address. And as you said, very expensive to be able to try and fix and future-proof the infrastructure but hopefully um the, the kind of senior leadership will start doing something about it huh
0: yeah you're absolutely right and and the cost is almost impossible to to uh, to sort of comprehend really when when you look at what it's going to take to 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 a kind of stall and reverse some of the some of the damage done but b just shore up what we've got so this sort of stuff doesn't happen i mean the 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 tragedy in new york at the moment I think the death toll stands north of 40 um as we're recording this and i'm sure unfortunately that probably won't be the the end of it you've got hundreds of thousands without power um which is is just just awful and um uh, it's going to take months for for New York and you know uh, other big urban areas to recover from this and get back on back on track. So you've got this awful human cost, which is incredibly real and, and very sad. You've got a massive economic cost for, for for cities and nations as well. I mean, can you imagine the cost of having Manhattan's subway system shut down for a couple of months? Just just the damage to the economy of of New York, uh, mm. and, and, and uh, so there is. Um, as a double incentive here, really, for, um, you know, yes, you've got a health and safety piece, which should be first and foremost. But if you can't wrap your head around doing the right thing for that, there's a, there's a huge economic in, incentive here. The OECD um, recommends that, or, well, uh, sort of mandates, if you like, in, in their uh, documentation that we need to spend about $6.3 trillion a year globally wow. to stall climate change. Uh, or stall the sort of warming uh, of the world to, to stem this stuff and, and, and shore up the infrastructure that we've got to make sure this sort of stuff doesn't happen. Now, 6.3 trillion, it's a little bit like it's a Mickey Mouse number. Nobody really knows what that means. But um, I the GDP.
1: Is, yeah.
0: Well, it doesn't really make any sense to, 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 to a normal person, does it? You know, uh, we, we talk in thousands and millions, not trillions. So uh, for context, the GDP of the UK is 2.4 trillion. So you're talking about two and a half, three times the entire gross domestic product of the United Kingdom. You know, uh, India's GDP, about 2.7, 2.8 trillion. So, you know, we're talking about investing the entire, uh, you know, gross domestic product of India uh, every year, three times into just, uh, you know, sustainable infrastructure and and climate uh, change stemming uh, technology. So I guess if we can't do it for the human tragedy that's unfolding in front of our eyes and popping up all over the globe there are going to be some massive economic incentives for uh, people to kind of put their money in the right places to support this change and transformation that we need to see i know some of the um the best performing funds that i'm involved in personally for my own uh, personal investment portfolio are associated with positive change and 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 sustainability because actually money from governments is pouring into these technologies whether it be in carbon capture whether it be in um, wind and energy but actually maybe it's just about more sustainable engineering practices so that we're building systems like HS2 for example and you know future subways and and this sort of thing that can withstand some of these very extreme pieces of weather uh, and climate that are here to stay I'm afraid they're here we've done this it's not going anywhere we can yeah. we can stop it getting much worse mm-hmm. but what we're seeing right now is not going away it's not going to be a flash in the pan it's it's here to stay
1: yeah exactly it's really scary um but as you said it just it just feels like we need to get used to what's what's coming and as you said it, it is big business it is most definitely big business so for anyone looking to invest money out there uh you know that that's kind of the safe bet unfortunately moving forward those those this is where money
0: an investment needs to be going for sure and 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 you know we probably historically had to make a little bit of a a choice between sustainable investment decisions and you know uh, returns but actually those those days are behind us now you know the capital is going to flow hugely into these areas so i guess my uh, my soapbox rallying cry would be you know go go check out some of these awesome opportunities to to help your money work in in the right way and and you don't have to compromise on you know great returns and you can do some good for the planet so um there's some um there's some fantastic funds out there really pushing this stuff and and we need it right we need it to build the next subway we need it to build um you know brilliant sustainable infrastructure that will uh you know make (laughs) make the world a bit more habitable frankly because um as i say our heart goes out to the people in new york and um we need to we need to get this infrastructure right so this doesn't happen again yeah
1: exactly let's hop it up
0: Okay. Good stuff. We'll take a couple of moments. We'll be back after these very brief messages from our sponsors.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Ben Creative. Do you believe that creativity can change the world? Well, we do. That's why we've made it our mission to celebrate creative diversity. Here at bencreative.com, we inspire and connect talented female creatives with brands looking to build authentic relationships with their customers. If that's what you're looking for, then join us at bemcreative.com, And together, let's build a more balanced world. So moving from the big things into the very small things, my resource (laughs) this week uh, should hopefully help a lot of people out there in offices. If you ever received a PDF document, which then you had to quickly tweak, Uh, this is for you. Uh, It's uh, on your browser, I want you to go and type in smallpdf.com. You can sign up for a free trial and then you can convert your PDF into an easily editable Word document. So there you go, smallpdf.com. Go and have a try and let us know if it works. That's me.
0: Now, now fabi has um fabi's really dropped some knowledge on me this week I, i'm i'm supposedly the the big nerd and the big geek in our relationship right and i, I love a tool like this okay um and it, the by by the way a small pdf are in no way associated with the show we don't do anything like that this is just a, a really good tool that fabi's picked up i have had to go and crawl all over this this morning when she told me about about this because i've never heard of it and it's you know it looks like it could you know it's a bookmarker for me fabi i'm in sign me up yeah
1: yeah, good. I know you you like to say that you are the the geekiest of the two of us, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll let people at home make up their minds about that.
0: You've raised the bar here, Fabi. This looks an excellent little tool. Um apps on mobile as well. um i'm 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 so proud that um you know you feel you feel confident to bring this uh, to the show because you're doing my job for me. That's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> check course. it out. I'm impressed. So I haven't even got a resource this week, Fabi. You've, you've shown me up so much with your wonderful tech tool, small PDF that I'm going to um, I'm going to recommend a person this week that people should go go check out. Um, I find myself promoting um, this person to to everybody I speak to about different investment opportunities or, or just general advice in life. To be honest, um, Professor Scott Galloway is somebody that I follow. Uh, all over the internet, really. Wherever I can find Professor Galloway, I go and listen, watch, observe, read, whatever. He's got a fantastic blog called No Mercy, No Malice, where he talks about kind of investment strategy. Um, he has his own podcast on um, Spotify called uh, The Prof G Show, and he's the co-host on probably my favorite podcast and part of the inspiration behind us um, uh, doing doing this, Fabio, I suppose, for me, which is called Pivot with um, amazing journalist Cara Swisher. Um, I guess, Professor Galloway, to give you a bit of a sub- Murray is a marketing um, professor at NYU, New York University, Um, serial entrepreneur, um, absolute character, pops up all over the American news networks all the time, sort of dishing out financial advice and, and predictions, but just has a really good grounded view on the way the world works, great sense of humor, no filter calls it kind of as he see as he sees it um sometimes to his own detriment i think he's probably been banned off a couple of shows not in terms of like a shock jock kind of way but just no filter which is which is fantastic but an incredibly smart and thoughtful human being who um puts huge value in education and um and puts huge value in mental health and the benefits uh, that you know healthy living sustainability and and you know financial well-being have on on people's lives so if you don't know professor galloway go check him out on one of the um the three channels i talked about his blog no mercy no malice the prof G show or uh, or, or the pivot podcast and um you know you're welcome have a slice of professor galloway in your
1: life he's amazing I, I will definitely go and check him out, even if it's just to warn him that you've been stalking <laughs> all over the internet. You know, bless him, but no, uh, it, it's great shout. I'll, I'll definitely go and check it out, and everyone at home as well. Uh, Professor, he's the Belway. kind of.
0: He, yeah, Professor Galloway—he's the kind of surrogate um, coach or father figure that I think I need in my life. Uh, Fabi. Not no disrespect to my own father—I'm happy to have two fathers—but he can he can you know he can deputize. <laughs> yeah, go check him out, Professor Galloway. Everywhere you can shake a stick at, stick that stick that name into Google—you'll have plenty to go at. But yeah, well worth checking out. Cool guy. So, Fabi, that's awesome. That it's the show. We're we're done. Yeah, we're through.
1: That's the show. We did it. I mean, I loved the conversation with Richard earlier on, Leon. It kind of really made us uh, think slightly different around the future of retail. And most most importantly, how brands out there will need to kind of rethink their strategy. You know, if indeed they want to continue existing in our future world, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Yeah, well, they, they do need to rethink that. And I think it's it's good food for thought that, that Richard raised about the direction things are taking and, you know, links closely to the news story you raised about, you know, different types of shopping having a bounce. And um, it's all connected, isn't it? And we've covered it all today, haven't we? You know, the big infrastructure investment decisions and the great human tragedy we're seeing as a result of some of this climate change through to tiny applications in, in, the, in the world of PDFs that might make your life that little bit easier. So I feel we've done our duty this week.
1: We have the Now duty and we're going to be back next week, right? We're going to be talking mm. about non-fungible tokens, NFTs, the buzzword of the moment out there.
0: This is your get-rich-quick scheme, isn't it, Fabi? You're going to buy a Lionel Messi NFT and then retire off it in, in 10 years. That's the plan, isn't it? Oh, it'd be Neymar for you. You wouldn't do Messi, would you?
1: Yeah, no, I, 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 Messi is definitely out of the cards. But I'm thinking about creating my own NFT. So as part of the kind of research for the show, I'm gonna try and do that over the weekend and figure out how easy or not it is.
0: You could give that away to somebody on the show. I've, I've put you on the spot here now. Um, but we'll, we'll see if we can create an NFT and give it away then or something. Yeah, we'll just yeah, that'd be nice. It.
1: If I can manage to create it, why not? Let's do that.
0: Awesome. Well, I look forward to it then. Thank you for Fabi. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, yeah.
1: Indeed. Thank you Leon, thank you everyone for listening and I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks.
0: Bye bye.